Well, good morning. What a privilege it is to be together this morning as the people of God. Thank you for your presence. If you're visiting with us today, especially so glad you can be here among us at the East Side Church. The East Side Church is a local church of Christ. And local churches of Christ were ordained by God for a special purpose, actually for several, I think. And one of them is so that his people could get together and work together and worship together and learn together and grow together and have a place, have a place to belong. And uh, we want you, if you're a child of God and you're looking for a place to belong, to think about belonging at Eastside. I think it's a wonderful group that we have here. Uh, certainly we have issues that we deal with from time to time and all of us need help and encouragement. But again, that's why we're here. And God has made it this way. The inspired writers of the New Testament often use common words in new ways to convey very special concepts. For instance, words like grace. In, in New Testament age, in the Greek language, the word grace was a common greeting. In fact, it was exactly like our hello. When we say hi to one another, uh, the Greeks say uh, grace. Their word is kare uh, to one another. It's a very common word. When we come into the New Testament, it actually it's just fraught with special meaning when we think about God's grace toward us. The word fellowship was a common word in the Greek language, quantia, uh, and it just had to do with partnership. If people went into business with one another, you'd call that a fellowship. Well, in the New Testament, the word fellowship is used in a really special way. And so it is with the word that's translated church. I'm going to talk to you about the meaning of the word church for a minute. In the Greek language of the New Testament, the word church, which is ekklesia, just meant an assembly. If you turn over to Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul is evangelizing in the city of Ephesus, and some people become upset with the Christians, and they cause this great mob scene where they intend to persecute Christians. But I'm just going to point out a couple of verses in this text, Acts 19 and uh, verse 32, for instance. The text says, Some therefore cried one thing in this mob, some another, for the assembly was confused. The word that's translated assembly there is ecclesia. Assembly. It's just a common word for our group of people who got together. And so it is, and when you go on in the context, in verse 29, uh, the town clerk arises, he addresses this group, he says, if you have any other inquiry make it to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. Again, the word there is ecclesia. And in verse 41, when they had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So three times in this text, you have this word ecclesia. But the vast majority of times in the New Testament, when we come across the word ecclesia, it's not translated assembly. It's not talking about a common assembly. It's talking about the group of God's people who are saved, either all over the world or in a specific place. And so that's translated by the English word church. This is the east side church. We are meeting on the east side of town together in this place, but we are the assembly. We are the church of God or the church of Christ. And that's how the word church is commonly used uh, frequently used, almost always, in the New Testament. Dozens and dozens and dozens of times it's used in this way. Sometimes it's used to talk about the whole group of the saved all over the world. So in, 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 in uh, 
for an example, in Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. He's built a church that's worldwide, right? In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Well, what is the church of Christ? It is the saved all over the world. Those He saved. Those He died to save. That's who the church is all over the world. But then sometimes the word church is used to describe a group of Christians, as I've already said, meeting in a specific location uh, to work and worship. In the Bible, you can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 about the church of God, which was at Corinth. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13, you can read about the churches of Galatia. Galatia was a pretty large region, had a lot of different local places in it. And so you have churches of Galatia. If you open up the book of Revelation and look at chapters 2 and 3, you have messages sent to seven, seven different churches, each of them in a different city. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So you have this idea of what we would call the local church in a location. It's located in Scripture. This is, as I've already said a couple of times already, a local church here at Eastside. It's in a location. It meets in a location. And the members of it come from around here. Okay? What, is, what does it mean to be a part of a local church? What does God intend for us in a local church? What are our responsibilities to the local church? These are some of the questions I'd like to explore with you this morning. What does it mean to be a member of a local church? Well, the first thing that it means is here's a place where Christians are intended to participate together. There's a commitment in the local church to sharing and caring, associating and fellowshipping. From the beginning of the establishment of the church, which you read about in Acts chapter 2, from the beginning of that, you have Christians doing these things, making a commitment to one another. You might remember, and I'm sure most all of you do, uh, the context of Acts chapter 2. Peter has preached to this huge crowd of Jews, many of them guilty of crucifying the Christ. He points out that that's what they've done. They ask in verse 36, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter tells them in verse 38 to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says that those that gladly received His Word were baptized. And at the end of the chapter, it tells us that the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. But what I want you to notice in the midst of all this is the description of how this new church, which was both at this point, both the local church and the universal church, all in one. It was in a location, but it was all the Christians there were in the world at this moment. But notice how they participated together, how they committed to one another. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Verse 43. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They shared whatever they had. 
And then at the end of that text, in verse 44, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They had a place to meet. It was the temple. And they continued daily meeting there. The contemporary English version of that reads this way. All the Lord's followers often met together and they shared everything they had. The English Standard Version in the last phrase of that passage says that they were attending the temple together. You have here the concept of people deciding they're going to be involved in one another's lives. They're going to come together and meet and worship together. They're also going to be in one another's homes, breaking their bread and sharing life with one another. That there's a commitment to this group of people. There is, in fact, as you read through the New Testament, um, an obligation of Christians to be involved in one another's lives. In fact, I can't even say that without using the phrase one another. Do you know how many times the New Testament uses the phrase one another? Well, I'm not going to share all of them with you, but I'm going to share a few. And as I share these one another commands and statements about how Christians are to relate to one another, I want you to notice how all of these are facilitated and made possible by participation in a local church. And all of these would be virtually impossible without participation in a local church. For instance, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, now Paul writes in the book of Romans to the saints at Rome. There were a number of churches in Rome at this time. We know that because in the last chapter of the book of Romans, he mentions more than one church. One that was meeting in the home of Aquila and Priscilla that we'll talk about a little later. So he's writing to Christians, but they're meeting in churches. And he says to them in Romans 12 and verse 10, be kindly affectionate one to another. And he says in Romans 12 and verse 10, give preference one to another. And in Romans 12 and verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. And in chapter 13 and verse 8, love one another. And in chapter 14 and verse 19, edify one another. And in chapter 15 and verse 7, receive one another. Chapter 15 and verse 14, admonish one another. Chapter 16 and verse 16, greet one another. You know, a local church is not like the uh, TV show Cheers where everybody knows your name. <laughs> the local church is a place where everybody really knows not only your name, but who you are. It's a place to belong, as we'll talk about a little later. And it would be very difficult to greet one another if we weren't meeting to one another and meeting with one another and being with one another on some sort of a regular basis. It'd be really hard to do any of these things. And that's just in the book of Romans. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25, Paul tells the church at Corinth to have the same care one for another. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, he tells those of the Galatian churches to serve one another. In chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, he tells the church at Ephesus to bear with one another. And in verse 32, to be kind to one another. And in chapter 5 and verse 21, to submit to one another. In the book of Colossians, he tells the church at Colossae, to bear with 
one another. In chapter 3 and verse 13, to forgive one another. He writes to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18, and he tells them to comfort one another. Chapter 5 and verse 11, again, to comfort or encourage one another. And in chapter 5 and verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians, do good to one another. And that ain't all, but that's all I'm sharing with you this morning. You get the idea? We have responsibilities to one another. The local church is intended to facilitate the fulfilling of those responsibilities. And as I said, it would be practically impossible to do all of those things if we didn't have a local church. When are you ever going to interact with fellow Christians? Get to know other members of the body of Christ? If not for a local church. This is God's design. Participation. Commitment to one another. Assembling for mutual encouragement. Please notice with me what the writer says to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25. We're to consider one another, he says, in order to stir up love and good works. All right, well, how are we going to consider one another if we don't know one another? How are we going to encourage one another to do the right thing and to do good works if we don't meet with one another? And so the very next phrase is not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. As the custom of some is. Apparently there were people then, as there are now, who think they can just stay at home and be a Christian. And especially so now that, you know, some things are online, right? Well, well I, can, I, can just, I can just watch the, the live stream. That's it. You can't watch the live stream and do Hebrews 10.25. You can't. You can't meet together to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. There's great things about live stream. I think we're live streaming now, aren't we? So, great things about that. But it does not take the place of the local church or assembling with the local church. The Good News Bible in Hebrews 10.25 puts it this way. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more. In a local church, we participate. We stand together for the truth of the gospel. And strengthening one another and helping one another and fighting the good fight of faith. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, the Apostle Paul admonishes the church at Philippi and he says, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This unity that we have in a local church is what he is enjoining upon the Philippians. And they will stand fast to fight for the truth of the gospel. And they would do great things together. We need one another in this community, in this place, to stand fast together as we strive for the truth and strive to share it. I shared this story some time ago, but I, I like it. It was in Reader's Digest. So this hunter in Africa comes across this, this, uh, 
dead rhinoceros. And standing next to the dead rhinoceros is a pygmy with a spear. You know, pygmies are really small people. And uh, he looks at the pygmy, he looks at the big rhinoceros, and he said, wow, did you kill that? And the pygmy says, yes. And the guy says, well, how did you kill it? Pygmy says, with my club. And the hunter says, how big is your club? And the pygmy says, there are about 90 of us. That's the idea of a local church. We have power together in unity to go out and conquer the world. That's why God put us here together. That's why He ordained local churches. What does it mean to be a member of a local church? It means participation in all of that and more, but certainly all of that. What does it mean to be a member of a local church? It means that you enjoy spiritual oversight of qualified leaders and you receive from them nourishment, care, and protection for your spiritual life. Having others watching over you and out for you. Disciples of Christ, Christians, multiple times in Scripture are compared to sheep. And sheep need shepherding. And they benefit from shepherding. And so the local church is meant to provide sheep with shepherding. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 23, and in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, we find that it is God's will that every church have a plurality of qualified elders. Now there are some churches that don't have men qualified, but many of them in our area certainly do, and have appointed qualified men as elders. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, in fact, Paul wrote to Titus as a preacher, He says, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I gave you charge. That was how a church, a local church, was to be set up. That's what Paul and Barnabas did in Acts 14 and verse 23. And so when Paul writes to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, he writes to them as a church in that location, the city of Philippi. And in verse 1 he says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. And the word bishop there is translated from the word episcopus, and it means an overseer. It's used synonymously in the New Testament with a couple of other words. One is shepherd or pastor. So a bishop is a shepherd or a pastor. And the other word is elder. One who, because of spiritual maturity, has gained the right of respect, and to be an overseer, a bishop, a shepherd, a pastor. In churches, as they're set up by God, there's not just one pastor or bishop. If you put pastor and bishop together, you come up with pastor, but I don't think that's a word. There's not just one pastor or bishop or elder. There's a multiplicity. Always, when we read about it in the text of Scripture, there's more than one In each congregation. That's how it's to be set up. What else I want you to notice though about the Philippian church is that Paul addresses them as the saints with the bishops and deacons. The bishops and deacons are two offices in the church. But later on to be sure that we're thinking about this correctly, he's not talking about those as separate groups necessarily. He's including all of them in the church at Philippi. 
saints, bishops, and deacons. How do I know that? Look over at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15. He talks about, Paul does, about when he left from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Who's you? The saints, the bishops, and the deacons to whom he's writing. That's who. That's the church, according to Paul. The church at Philippi, a local church. Local churches provide, through their elders, great benefits to Christians. They are given, as I've already mentioned, the task of overseeing. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'd like to read about three verses from 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Here the Apostle Peter writes, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Elders are to shepherd and be overseers. I already said that, right? But this verse says that. Shepherds are to, are, are, elders are to shepherd and be overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but examples to the flock. So we find that one of the functions of our bishops, our elders, our pastors, our overseers is to be examples to us. Show us how to live as Christians. We find also that elders and bishops, overseers, pastors, that they are to feed us. They're responsible for making sure we get the spiritual nourishment that we need. They're to teach us. In fact, one of the qualifications Paul gives in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 is that a bishop is to be apt or able to teach. They're to protect us, to protect us from false teaching, protect us from those who would attack the truth of God's Word and try to split us apart. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, we learn that elders are to hold fast the Word as they've been taught, that they may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. So they meet these challenges and are able to do that. They also, elders, are to rule. In fact, they're commended if they rule well. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 says, the word rule there means to stand before, to be a leader. They're to watch after us, and care about us, and be accountable for us. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 then, the Hebrew writer admonishes these Christians, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Can I make a couple of observations about this text? Elders rule. They rule in a local congregation. They are to be submitted to. That means do as they ask. Do as they ask. They watch out for our souls. And because they are accountable for us, we are accountable to them. 
a lot of people in this day and age don't like accountability. And that is why a lot of people in this age don't like to be members of local churches. But I can assure you, it is entirely against the plan and design of God to reject this aspect of the local church. And when I hear, and I do sometimes, and probably you do too, of people saying things like, well, I know the elders said this, or the elders, they wanted to meet with me, but I'm not going to do that. Ouch. Right? That's not God's will. That's not God's will. We need the spiritual oversight. We need, more than anything, identification and a place to feel that we belong. And God intends that for us. The Scriptures indicate that individual Christians should strive to be a part of local churches. When Paul arrived at Jerusalem uh, in Acts chapter 9, sometime after being converted, but maybe not too awful long, Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, he endeavored to join himself to the disciples that are there. Now Paul is an apostle of Christ. And he tells us later that we're to follow his example. He tries to join the group of disciples and eventually does. Later on, Paul and Barnabas find themselves in the city of Antioch up in Syria. And I'd like you to look with me just at a couple of things in passing. In, in the book of Acts, notice in chapter 11 of Acts and verse 26, the text tells us that Paul found Barnabas. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it was so that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That's a fascinating verse. First time the word Christian is found. These people were called Christians first in Antioch. But you see Paul and Barnabas coming there and assembling with his church for a whole year. Were they ever members of the church? Somebody might ask if they want to be picky. It doesn't say they were actually a part of the church. Turn over to chapter 13 of the book of Acts. Notice verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there's a local church, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, that's one of them, and the last one on the list is Saul. They were in the church at Antioch. Part of that church at Antioch. So yes, they were members. Later on we can read in the New Testament about a man by the name of Apollos. You remember him in Acts chapter 19? Uh, Acts chapter 18 and 19? So, Aquila and Priscilla come across Apollos in Ephesus. Ephesus knows a lot about the truth, but he only knows the baptism of John. So they take him aside and privately teach him the truth about that. And he's a powerful man in the Scriptures and he is able to convince even some of the Jewish leaders of the truth of the things that he spoke. In Acts 18 and verse 27, he desired to cross to Achaia. The brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. Now why would they do that? 
you know, if, if it doesn't matter, you can just go someplace and live another place and you don't have to, you don't have to be a part of the local church. <laughs> and yet, here, the disciples in Ephesus write to the disciples in Achaia, the brethren in Achaia, about Apollos. So that they would, what? Receive him. What does that tell us? You know, necessary implications, you remember those? It tells us Paul, or Apollos was going to be received by the brethren in Corinth, or Achaia, as mentioned there. But we learn in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, specifically, that Apollos was at Corinth. And later, we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul talking about his relationship and the relationship of Apollos with Corinth. He says, who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, who? The church at Corinth. As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So was Apollos a part of the church at Corinth? Yeah, he was watering them. Or had. What we're seeing here is apostolic authority and example for being an individual joining himself to a local church. And we talked a lot over the last year about how God expresses His authority through apostles, through apostolic example that is approved. This is authority to join yourself to a local church as if we couldn't get that from the necessary implications we've looked at already. If elders adequately perform their God-given task, they will know the members. And the members will know them. Jesus, speaking about Himself as the Good Shepherd, He says, I know My sheep. My sheep are known by Me. I'm known by My own, He says. That's how shepherds work. They know their sheep and their sheep know them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, he says, We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. We need the benefits of Leadership, as I've talked about earlier. We need, though, to belong. You know, the thing about sheep is they know they don't just belong everywhere or anywhere. Jesus makes this great point in John chapter 10 when He's talking about Himself as the Good Shepherd. He says, My sheep hear My voice and they know Me. They won't answer somebody else's voice. Because the sheep belong to a given flock. And they listen to the shepherds of that flock. They belong there. They feel safe there. They're taken care of there. They're tended there. They're fed there. They're protected there. And that's why we need to be a part of a local church. Now, the slides are finished, but I'm not finished. There are a few applications that I'd like to share with you before we quit today. won't take long. 
But unless we make these applications, I think the lesson might uh, bounce off some of us like water off a duck's back. So let's think together about what these things mean that we've discovered in Scripture this morning. First of all, we've looked at Scripture that necessitates what is generally called being identified with or placing membership in a local congregation. That's God's intention. By doing this, the elders know you, you get to know them, you become a part of a work that God intends you to be a part of. Not just a visitor. It's fine to be a visitor. But at some point, God wants you to make a commitment to a local group. We understand it's possible for a person to be a Christian and not be a part of a local group for a time. I, I suspect that when the Ethiopian eunuch went back, went back down to Ethiopia, uh, there may not have been any other Christians there. What do you do in that situation? Well, I know what Paul did. Every place he went where there wasn't, weren't Christians, he converted people. And then there was a church there. And a lot of times he stayed there for some long time, in the case of Ephesus, in the case of Corinth, especially for years, being a member of that church. My own parents, twice in my lifetime, traveled to places where there were not local churches. But there were when they got there, in Nancy, France, and Dugway Proving Grounds, Utah. Because they started them. So yeah, you could be a member at large for some short amount of time, but that's not what God intends. God made these local churches for a reason. We also note that at times there are those who don't want to participate in a local church because they don't want the responsibilities that we've talked about this morning. And so some either don't participate, don't place membership in a local church or they become sort of floating members that, you know, they'll place the membership here for six months and then go someplace else for six months and so on and so forth. That makes it really hard for the local church to do what God intended it to do and for those people to receive the benefits of the local church that God intended, that we've talked about this morning. Now I understand, and the Lord understands, you might move from one place to another. You might move your membership from here to there. The most obvious reason to do that is because you move location. So we read in the Bible of Aquila and Priscilla, for instance, they were part of the church at Corinth. They were part of the church at Ephesus. And they had a church that met in their house in Rome because they moved. But everywhere they went, they were part of a local church. And that is how God wants it to be with us even today. Sometimes, we might deem it necessary to become a part of another local church that's near our area, within the same general area, to change membership, if you will. Sometimes that might be necessary. Perhaps because we want to be more useful in the Lord's vineyard. We could be more effective in serving Him. That's a good reason. Perhaps it's because there are unscriptural doctrines that are being taught or practiced at the church we were with. That's a good reason. 
perhaps there's a, just a strong difference of opinion about the advisability, not the scripturalness, but the advisability of a certain practice. Feel that it's just better to go somewhere else rather than cause a stir. That's a so-so reason at least. What God would want us to do in those situations is to forbear, to work it out if we'd all possibly can, to come to a unity of mind rather than just going someplace else that agrees with us. But if that can't be done, when we leave one congregation to join another congregation, let's be entirely positive that we're not leaving to go to another church to put pressure on the former congregation to honor our particular desires or opinions. That we're not leaving because the truth has been preached at that first church, but it stepped on our toes and it hurt our feelings. That we're not leaving to escape discipline or escape responsibilities. And that we're not leaving because of jealousy or envy, because we've not been elevated to a position that we wanted in a particular place. Membership in a local congregation is a privilege and a responsibility. As with so many things in life, the more we put into it, the more we'll get out of it. Active participation is important. We'll discuss that more in another lesson later on. But to wind up, the Lord's church, the local church, is God's plan for Christians, as we've said. He planned it. His apostles authorized it, established it, and organized it as Christians were to be a part of it. And I don't know who I'm talking to here this morning. It might be that there are some here that are thinking about placing membership here at Eastside. Maybe you're a Christian, come from somebody else, someplace else, somewhere out of town, somewhere in town. And all I can tell you about that is don't drag your feet too long. And if you want to do it, talk to our elders. In fact, you'll need to talk to them if you're going to do that because they're our shepherds. They're, they're going to make sure we got no wolves coming in and all of that sort of thing. But in the bigger picture, maybe you're not a member of the church all over the world, that body of the saved over which Christ is the head because you've never named the name of Jesus. You've never become a part of that group of saved people that is known as the church. You have the opportunity to do that right now. If you believe in Jesus, willing to turn away from a sinful life, name Him as your Lord, and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, you can do that now. And we encourage you while together we stand and while we sing.